Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show, and this week we are looking at the stock market versus the economy. We have an economy right now that's very anemic, in fact, is in a lot of pain, and yet we've got a stock market that's pushed up over 25% in just six weeks. How can that be? And that's exactly what we're going to explore in this show. More importantly, how can you make sure that you don't get caught on the risky side of this if things change and this stock market runs out of puff? Look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my faithful companion, Mr. Mitchell Renshaw. Mr. AB, thank you very much for that introduction, and I've got an interesting topic that I want to cover today. It's very topical, but it's also informative, and that is the stock market versus the economy. Mm. There appears to be a lot of disconnect between the two at the moment, the stock market rallying, and then everyone talking about the economy crashing. When we meet in the middle of what's going to happen, we're going to cover it all. I don't know how we're going to cover that in 20 minutes, but we'll see how we go. Do our next. So yes, a lot of people assume you know, the stock market and, and the economy, the overall health for it, are, are one and the same thing, but very clearly they're not. And look, with the coronavirus, we saw a huge sell-off in the stock market. Everyone's aware of that. And we've also seen an incredible rally. So what are we up from the lows now? Look, I think we're about 25% up from, we saw that huge sell down in March. And I think from then we're up about 25%. So just reading my numbers here, the S&P 500 is nearly at 3,000 yet again, mm. and the Dow's just about five points off 25,000, which, you know, from a technical point of view, I won't go into it too much. That's kind of, if we were to break past those levels, that's a break of their long-term moving average, which could actually signal a new bull market. And maybe we are in a new bull market, certainly a 25% gain over, and it's crazy because that's over, you know, probably six or seven weeks, which crazy. is just a, an incredibly strong run. And for those people that have been part of it, our clients, ourselves included, it's been phenomenal. Sure. And you could be forgiven for seeing the financial news and seeing markets at these incredibly high levels and an economy where everything seems to be doom and gloom. So yes, there is an enormous disconnect between the two. What does that really mean though for investors? Does it mean the market is gonna crash? What's gonna be the catalyst for its crash and how do you protect yourself from it? I guess uh, some of the touch points we can run through. And with this recovery that we've seen, I think it's been a relief rally as much as anything. And as most of my clients know, I'm not a big fan of V-shaped bounces in markets. Um, I think if something's hit the skids and, and bounced off in a V-shape, you can't have that much confidence in, in the veracity of that recovery. I like to see something a little slower, maybe a U-shaped type recovery in markets, and I feel a bit more confident with that. But we've seen it V-shaped for a few reasons, and probably you know, the big one is just the sheer volume of government stimulus, either through... Uh, lower interest rates, monetary policy, which sure. is for those listening that aren't familiar with some of those industry terms, I know we hate using them. Monetary policy is where interest rates are used to try and get uh, stimulus or slow down an economy. The other side is what we call fiscal stimulus, uh, fiscal policy, which is where taxes and government spending are used to try and regulate what's going on. And we've seen both of those applied um, you know, with equal gusto. So we've got interest rates at record lows, all-time lows here in Australia and the US and, and most of the major economies around the world. And we've also seen enormous government subsidy going in. Um, you know, and when you look at the Chinese stimulus, uh, it was 140, uh, sorry, 1.4 trillion last week. You know, the amount of government money going into economies is just unbelievable. And that's why I think we've seen markets rally in the way that they have, because they know that there's been uh, such a huge injection of cash in there. Sure, and I guess you know when you have the confidence of the government behind you, it increases that overall sentiment, and as we know, that kind of drives markets in a large way. Now, we spoke to a good friend of ours over in Sydney just a minute ago, who works in hedge funds, and he mentioned something to do with sort of foreign buying and the exchange rate. Yeah. 
Can you lend a hand on what that kind of means for our markets? Yeah, I mean, again, this is the sort of virtue of being around us, and, and it's not just us, it's our contacts. And you know, it's quite an interesting chat with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Mr. Shoes, let's call him Shoes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, foreign buying has definitely been a play. If we look at the banks just today, 10% jump in our banks over one day. Look, these banks have been oversold, and we've in fact got positions running in the banks we right definitely now. Definitely do. Uh, we've had four positions running in them, so we've had quite a. But all the big four from memory. Mm. Um, so that's going to be quite a boon for our clients, and rightly so, because life rewards action takers. Um, banks have been oversold, they represent reasonable value. And um, yeah, huge slab of foreign buying coming in today to drive it up 10%. And that foreign buying, you can kind of see in the foreign exchange markets when you get that much money pouring in, we see a big jump in the value of the Aussie dollar because obviously to buy Australian shares, you've got to buy Aussie dollars. Yeah. So that big jump in we've seen in the Aussie dollar is now reflected through with some of the buying pressure in markets. But you know, does that mean that it's all um, cake and medals for the banks? I suspect not. I think there are big problems coming ahead. And, and, and as we go through this, we'll start to look at how the effects within the economy will then impact on stocks. Because again, you know, the stock market and the economy are not the same thing. Sometimes the dog wags the tail and sometimes the tail wags the dog. And I guess you know, seeing how those two join together is, it, it, it is quite interesting. So banks have recovered for sure. So what's gonna derail this recovery in markets? And, and I think there are probably two or three um, big factors to talk about. One, um, is as the actual effects of a slower economy start to bite. Now in the US, you've got 32, 33 million people unemployed, which is an unfathomable number. Uh, in Australia, we've seen it um, increase, not by the same rate, uh, but we've seen that happen and the rest of the world is seeing the same thing. And look, governments have been propping that up to an extent with various allowances and subsidies and, and incentives, but at some point that does slow and stop. And, and when that consumer activity really grinds to a halt and people realize, hey, I don't have a job and the safety net's gone, that's where I think you're gonna to start to really see an impact on this. And to give you an idea um, of how frivolous some people are being about this right now, and I just saw on, uh, on one of my wife's, um, she's got plenty of people follow her on social media, um, one of the people on there was bragging about, um, thanks for the JobKeeper allowance, I just bought a new Dyson vacuum cleaner and some silk pajamas. And that just goes to show that you know this this government subsidies, the fiscal stimulus is is flowing through into the economy to an extent at the moment. But when that JobKeeper allowance stops, where does it go then? And then the harsh reality of you blowing all your money buying a new Dyson and whatever else, uh, the reality starts to bite, and, and and that will then start to really impact on our economy. So I think we're uh, probably a reporting season away in Australia from really seeing the bite of that slowing economy. In the US, because everything's on a quarterly basis, I think we're gonna see it a lot sooner. Um, next quarterly round, I think we're really gonna to start to see those earnings getting crimped. I tend to agree with you. It's funny because you look at today, the actual, the index of consumer sentiment, which measures con mm. consumer confidence, as we know, is actually up a couple of points. Mm. So consumers are feeling ever more confident in the economy. Nonetheless, I think us Australians know what's coming around the corner. Mm. So just as a hypothetical, let's say we get to next earnings period within our Australian companies here on the stock market and we see the earnings crunch. What will we see, A, in the economy and B, what, we will, what, what do you think we'll see in the stock market? Look, I think given the, how quickly the market has recovered, I think there's going to have to be a pause for breath and you know, you're know, you a fit man, you run up a hill at some point, you're going to have to put your hands on your knees and suck some air and, and, and markets are the same. They're going to get to a point where there's a pause and they need to suck in some air. We'll sure. buy a fatigue, we'll see that. Um, I think in terms of what actually the catalyst on the earnings side will be, you know, if we do see a prolonged slowdown 
in the housing sector, for example, and there's an awful lot of talk right now about how vital it is to keep our construction industry afloat. Yes, it's important, it's a huge employer, but who's going to live in the stuff that's being built? We've already got vacancy rates at record highs in all of the major cities. You know, one in seven properties are empty right now. That's crazy. And that reflects you know, the, the globalization of the Australian economy. You know, a lot of overseas students coming to university here, uh, a lot of overseas migrants working here, things have got tricky, they've all gone home and it's left a lot of these apartments empty. Not good news, of course, if you're a property investor and you're sitting there with an empty apartment and, and still have a mortgage to service on it. So, so that's one element I think that's massively vulnerable and will have very far reaching consequences as we start to see um, that construction sector slow down because it's not just construction, it's raw materials and then it's everything that people spend their wages on. So that's an example of something that's going to really bite and will be a very, very strong catalyst for that. Tourism is certainly an area that's struggled and obviously we're based up here in Queensland and our state premier um, has sort of held the line that we want to keep our borders closed for the moment and there's a very good case for that and there's a very good case not for that. It's a tough decision. It is. Uh, and I, I, I think that highlights more than anything in Australia, my view is well known on this, that we shouldn't have state government. It should be one country if we're unified and the federal government makes the decisions, good or bad. Um, but the tourism industry in Queensland in particular is going to suffer and that then impacts on property because tourism, people need somewhere to stay. Uh, you start to see hotels uh, and things like that slowing down, Airbnb all but gone, uh, and things start to really bite in that space too. And they're two very different types of example. With unemployment creeping up, um, I actually was in Harvey Norman on, uh, on Saturday, you wouldn't think that there was a low level of consumer spending. It was chock a block in the car park and in the store. So it's people crazy. are still spending. You know, it's on you know, 200 years interest-free credit for most people, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, there are people in there transacting, but at some point that bell will ring and people's sentiment will hit it. And this, these are the sorts of direct things that will impact on earnings. You know, we've spoken previously, I think, in their last podcast about you know, just something simple like movies. Uh, you know, Village Roadshow, people won't be going to the movies in the same way that will impact on them, uh, their earnings. So that's what we mean by an earnings crunch is people get used to the environment no longer being the same as, as what it probably was. I think a bigger risk in terms of a shock for markets, and, and this is one that's not going to be a shock. We're talking about an earnings crunch it probably will happen. You'd have a fairly high certainty that will happen. So it's not out of left field. You know when the reporting season starts, both here and in the US, so you can be ready for that and appropriately structure your portfolio, buying some insurance through puts, being short the market, unraveling some of the longer positions and being more nimble. They're all things that you can do in advance and be ready for that. Sure, not now, but as we get closer to it. The real vulnerability for markets in terms of what could cause a serious leg down and correction is that unknown factor. And that's probably something that's really worth exploring because the, the two massive ones at the moment, clearly geopolitical tensions are very high with China, uh, and arguably rightly so. Um, and if we see a significant escalation in that trade war, they're the sorts of things that can really put the boot into a very, very fragile economy and see it drop quite considerably. And maybe a different kind of war as well, as we mentioned before. Well, that's one risk is, is a trade war. The second risk is a more conventional style military conflict. And look, China have been quite um, prominent in their actions through this COVID cycle, uh, moving aircraft carriers through the South China Sea, a bit of saber rattling and really directly challenging America's authority on the waters in the international waters down there. Um, you know, there's talk of reclaiming Taiwan. Um, there's the introduction of new laws in Hong Kong. So this is being used as an opportunity to 
to propel forward China's foreign policy. And at some point, someone's going to push back against it or need to push back against it. And if that happens, that's a very, very good catalyst for a sell down in markets. And look, normally a good war if there's such a thing. Um, and I don't say that lightly. My cousin's been in the armed forces. We've got several clients down in Veal. Hopefully he's having a listen to it, has served as well. And all these sort of people um, that have been involved, there's no such thing as a good war, but a good war in the vernacular sense is always good for the economy. It stimulates spending, government spending. Technological advancement. Mm -hmm. Exactly like right. But I don't think this war will be one in that category. I think it's going to be quite, quite dicey because you're dealing with two very unknowns. You've got a president in America who, who doesn't stick by the conventional playbook and you're dealing with China, which is an unknown in those circumstances. So if we just focus on trade wars as being the most likely economic threat to the moment. You know, we saw Australia with the barley tariffs uh, and, um, and beef export restrictions really feeling in its agricultural sector, which is a, is a, is a crime in that you know, our farmers have been through such a tough run with the drought and now we're just out the other side and markets are getting pretty buoyant and good for them and you get slapped with a, a, a tariff ban. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out because you know, the World Trade Organization is supposed to police this. You wonder how objective they are, just like the World Health Organization is supposed to police viruses. They didn't do a very good job. In fact, arguably they were bought off in terms of not doing the right thing there. You wonder if the WTO will be in the same situation. So this free trade issue is a massive thing, and that will really hurt Australia because we've been so incredibly reliant on you know, a handful of exports, iron ore. And you wouldn't think so, again, looking at Fortescue's share price for us. It's gone through, through the roof. Um, coal, natural gas, education, uh, 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 and tourism would be our five big exports, particularly with China and that sort of space. Sure. And areas that are very, very vulnerable. So an economic shock for us could come from China going, we're not playing anymore, we're turning off our imports from you. And we would suffer massively as a consequence of that. I think that's a massive consideration moving forward. And for anyone unschooled who maybe has themselves invested, it's so important to get yourself across this kind of thing. And that's not trading headline to headline. That's understanding the economy and where it's at. Mm. So that's obviously a lot of information to, to digest. I'm going to be honest with you, Andrew. How do we piece that together and how do we put it in sort of a more directional play where, where are we going okay. and what do people do? Where are we going? Here's an interesting one. We're in a presidential year in the US. And this for me has been a very, very good and very healthy and reliable investment strategy over my career. So if we look at the last 28 presidential cycles, we go right the way back to 1928. So there are 28 elections, I think, since then. And in every single election year, except for three, what's the mass on that, 10, 15, 13? 13%. 13%. So 13% of election years, only three times over the last 28 US presidential election years has the stock market not gone up. Okay, and that's an incredibly strong statistic. It's obviously in the incumbent president's interest <laughs> to make sure um, that the stock market is in good shape about the economy later, but you know, make sure the stock market is in good shape because um, that's the sort of thing that gets you re-elected. And, um, and so they'll be throwing the kitchen sink at this to make it go up. So on one side, we've talked about the risks of earnings and possibly a more uh, a significant escalation in trade wars or even conflict in that respect. On the other side, you've got somebody that's got an incredibly strong motivation to ensure that the stock market and the economy is in reasonable shape come November in the US. And that's a huge wall of money not to step in front of. And you can just see the amount of dollars that are being thrown into the US economy. I'm not saying specifically uh, with uh, an objective of ensuring that incumbent presidents re-elected, but these guys are really getting behind it and making it happen. And you know, the US, as we know, is, 
is blessed to be overloaded with technology companies and some of the real leaders in the world in pharmaceuticals, for example. You know, if you talk about uh, a cure for coronavirus, you know, you've AstraZeneca in the UK, they've got trials on. But when you start to look at, you know, the likes of um, the big pharmaceuticals in the US, there's no comparison. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's a potential cure or, or virus um, or, you know, vaccination there. Um, you've got a technology sector with Netflix going ballistic and Zoom and all of Facebook. these, Facebook, all of these social, anything technology is based there. Um, yeah, so don't be surprised if that momentum does continue. I do think we're going to see a bit of a hiccup and a short-term pause as markets digest where we're at. If there is an earning shock, that's a catalyst for the downside. But on the other is that enormous push to make sure that this market and this economy stays moving forward in the US. Now, there are big positions to take. You're either on that side of the line or that side of the line, and that's the danger of forecasting or guessing. Definitely. That's an interesting balance. I mean, how do you weigh one up and how do you choose which one, you know, that your view is? Uh, I guess we're coming to the end of the broadcast mm -hmm. here, Andrew. So for anyone that's kind of looking to trade that market or understand exactly what position to maybe take, what do you suggest they do? Well, number one, don't try and guess what's going to happen. It's the worst thing you can do. And we've explored that previously, I think, in, in various podcast shows. Successful investing isn't about necessarily predicting what's going to happen. It's about responding to what's going on. So I'd say to everybody, you know, Increase your level of preparedness and being nimble. You know, don't be going down with the ship again. If we do get a pullback in this market, don't give back all of the profit that you've made. So learn from your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. Have protection. Have your stocks buying puts. We're buying puts for clients today. We are. So to make sure that that risk is guaranteed and contained and can't get out of hand. So there are two proactive strategies that you can take. And do you know something? If you don't need them and the share market continues to go up, think about this in a really simple term, and this might help people get their head around risk management. At the end of the year, if you haven't had an accident in your car and you don't need to make an insurance claim, do you mope around the house going, oh, I'm gutted, I didn't need to make an insurance claim? Do you still get insurance? Yep, you have to have it for that peace of mind. And I think in this market, it's extremely important to consider that and have that downside protection. And if we see a pause, and then we see this market push higher on the back of it, just having that protection means that you, you've got your downside largely covered. I suspect we are going to see something of a pullback, but I suspect that we'll see the back end of the year deliver more than the front end has in terms of I think we'll be higher than where we are now by the end of the year. Wow, and I really hope that's the case because we've got a lot of clients doing some really, pulling in some really good results and all we can hope is that they keep doing that. So mm -hmm. look, AB, it's been an absolute pleasure to get your guidance uh, through this broadcast. Is there any final words? The key thing for people is to be nimble right now. This is not a long-term buy, hold and forget market and it's not likely to return to that. The key thing is to be managing your investments proactively, keeping an eye on them, having risk management in play. And as we've talked of in previous podcasts, the kind of investments that you should have litmus tests are they part of the future? Sure. And today the big story is on the banks. Tomorrow it will be something else because you know money is flowing into this market for sure. There's a disconnect between the market and the economy. When the economy really starts to bite on the earnings side, that will be a catalyst for things to stop in terms of the music. But at the moment you're gonna make hay while the sun shines and that's exactly Absolutely. Keep doing what we're doing and keep pulling in the numbers. AB, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And there's, you know, there's a lot of great content out there for our viewers. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Mitch. Anytime. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on this week's broadcast. Please be sure to give us a rating and a review. And we'll look forward to speaking with you next week.